I'm amazed how many people own stocks. Welcome to the Playing Footsie Podcast. My name's Paul, and each episode, me and the lads get together to talk about the stocks, stock market news, and finance in general. Quick disclaimer, you shouldn't consider anything in this podcast as personal financial advice. If you need such advice, go to a financial advisor. And please remember, when investing in any form, your capital is at risk. So sit back, relax, and let the lads fill you in with all the stock market news of the week. The sucker's going up. Welcome, mm-hmm. everyone, to the Playing Footsie podcast. Uh, we've got me, Paul Briscoe. We've got Steve W and Steve D to talk about our weekend stocks. Uh, we're going to get straight into it because there's a lot to talk about today. There's a lot on this list that I've got written down here. Uh, so first of all, we're just going to go to whichever one of you wants to tell me about their week. I've had a good week, Paul. Uh, it's been a good week both in stocks, actually, and out of stocks. So out of stocks, we're recording this on November the 3rd, which means it's just been Halloween. Uh, we've had a nice start to the week feeding some small children who came round what turned out to be some absolutely disgusting lollipops that my wife picked up in Lidl earlier in the day. So we didn't have any kind of trick-or-treater candy handy to uh, give them. So she went to Lidl quickly and just grabbed a like bag of lollies without looking at what they are. If anyone's got the kind of Lidl Halloween lollies this year, you will know that they are absolutely disgusting flavours. <laughs> and I don't just mean flavours that sound like they should be nice but are in fact disgusting. I mean they sound disgusting and they are disgusting. So there's some that are cinnamon and pumpkin. That's about the worst of them from what I can uh, see of it. The one I had was cinnamon and grape. Uh, there's one that's like ginger and apple. Uh, they're not better than they sound, if I'm honest with you. I had a, a, a cinnamon and grape one, and it said it was like eating a kind of cinnamon roll, which is quite a nice thing, but not with the texture of a lollipop. That was pretty horrible. Um, stocks have done better than I thought they were going to, though. I was expecting to get kind of mullered after last week's earnings, and my portfolio is surprisingly flatter than I thought it was going to be. We talked about my portfolio and my kind of top holdings about three or four weeks ago now, so I guess to anyone who was listening there and remembers what my top holdings were i suppose it's not a huge surprise that they're holding things steady fairly well but big declines on amazon big declines on meta biggish declines on uh, google but overall i'm kind of down a little bit but not a huge amount by any means which surprised me at first but does make sense when i look at the kind of balance of my portfolio in general very nice. Yeah, I've uh, experienced the same sort of level of flatness in my main portfolio, but my uh, my blitzscaleless portfolio, uh, which has got all the risky stuff in that, just keeps going up at the moment, which is not what you would expect from this kind of uh, environment we're in. But Steve, I bring you some news that will cheer you up. Um, oh. I heard today that Celebrations are planning on doing a, a tub that doesn't include the bounty after they, um, they uh, polled people who buy Celebrations and 68% of them said that they uh, they didn't they didn't like the bounty. So they're going to oh, try man. a tub without it. And I, I know you're not a massive bounty fan. So uh, how do you feel about this news? I'm a oh, signal- I'm a bounty fan, yeah. but this is usually the way that I know that it's January is that there's only bounties left in the celebrations tub. How will I know when the new year has arrived this year? Well, that is a question. What is your second favourite celebration? Now, we had a bit of a discussion about this one uh, at work today, and I think that I like them all equally uh, as as much as each other, except for the bounty. And if if you just gave me a pot of bounties, I'd probably eat them as well, to be honest. So would I. <laughs> uh, the next worst is a Twix, and that's not close either. I was at Twix as well. Yeah, How's I was, your week been, Paul? Um, uh, it's got a lot worse just now because you've told me they're pulling bounties out of uh, the celebrations because 
in January this year, I did a video, I've recorded it, but never fully released it or edited it um, on the basics of investing. And I use celebrations as an example of the S&P 500 or index funds. And I basically say that nobody wants bounties. And it's like a big thing is a big joke, but which means I've got to get that out pretty quick before bounties uh, disappear from the thing. Oh, shit. That's that's really messed up one of my videos, which, to be fair, probably was never going to get released because if I haven't edited it within six months, I'm probably never going to get around to it. Um, but yeah, ten I'd, be, I'd be very... <laughs> ten, ten months. <laughs> that's so bad, isn't it? But yeah, I have a video that explains all about inve investing in index funds, which uses out-of-date chocolate. So that's needs to be sorted pretty soon i will get on that that's going to be my next video you watch um anyway uh mm. stocks going very 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 well i guess um they shouldn't be because i want them to go down because i've got a ridiculous amount of money that i'm probably going to be putting back into the market pretty soon but i bought 500 pounds worth of amazon that after it dropped 10 percent, but the next day it dropped another 10 percent. so i'm pretty miffed at that the only saving grace of my portfolio right now is at&t which seems to have gained 14 percent on the month so far and that is slowly pushing towards the green which is um offsetting my crap amazon shares which uh well do with that one what you will but uh the rest of the week's been pretty good i'm uh in random location again and i'm just trying to settle in i'm here for a good couple of months now so um this will be coming from here apologies for the audio uh, but it's going to be like that for a couple of months, unfortunately. Um, what news have we got? We got a little bit happening today. We're going to talk about Meta. We're going to talk about Martin Lewis. Steve has something on Martin Lewis. And uh, the both the Fed and the UK have raised their interest rates again. And we'll have a short, I'm sure, short discussion on what that means for us and what that means for investors. But first of all, I think we want to talk about something great that's gone on with our channel. We have reached 1,000 subscribers on our YouTube channel, which means that we might have a little bit of money now to push towards uh, the Playing Footsie podcast and keep it running for even longer. Those of you that wanted it gone, well, it's here to stay now because it's crossed 1,000 subscribers. So well done. <laughs> In the in celebration of this, we've got two things going on. We're going to run a short competition. Steve D, can you tell us a little bit about that competition, and then I'll tell people how to enter. Sure. Yes. Yeah. So, um, yeah, just to celebrate with everybody for getting uh, getting us across the line, and special thanks to everybody in that last sort of uh, week. We put on about forty odd subscribers, which is usually about double what we we, we get in a month. So it was uh, it was really nice to see everybody sort of rally round and push us over the line. And we're very thankful for it. Feels like it's taken about fifteen years for us to get there, but we are here. Um, so thank you to everybody for for helping us there. Um, so yeah, to celebrate with you, we're going to give away uh, one of our hoodies. 
and we're going to give away uh, a copy of the Psychology of Money, which I think between the three of us we think is probably our favourite book. It's uh, the Morgan Housel book we've we've talked about at length, uh, and it's really easy to enter. So in in last week's show, uh, I uh, at, the, at the very beginning was was celebrating having a run of straight green days. All you need to do is write down in the comments section. Um, how many uh, how many straight green days I was having, and um, we will pick a winner probably by the end of next week, and we'll we'll get in contact to to ship some gear out. So best of luck, everybody, and uh, yeah, enjoy. Thank you. Yeah, and just to help everyone out there, that happens at about two minutes forty eight in uh, last week's episode. So have a click on that. You just scroll straight to two minutes forty eight, and you'll get the answer. Uh, cheers for that. Right, let's get like the cheat oh, master the... from when I was growing up. <laughs> we, I should have really just put it up to to celebrate the YouTube subscribers. <laughs> should have just put up where it was. Or the answer would have been a good one. That would be funny. Um, but we're not going to do that. We're not going to make it that easy for you. But the second thing we're going to do is we're going to bring back a very old favorite that's been requested a lot now it didn't do very well in our channel before but uh actually so many people have asked for it and particular very recently they've been asking for it but we want to do it in a slightly different way so we're going to bring back questions so we're, we're we want to hear the questions from you guys and we want to be able to try and answer them or at least add our own little flavor onto them but we want to do it through voice rather than reading out the questions from the comments so what we would like you to do if you want to ask us a question is leave us a voice note and send it to the email address in the description below. This will be in the description below of the podcast, but it will also be uh, below in the YouTube as well. So send it to there. Give us a voice note. We'll answer the question and your voice will be chocolatey and nice or in the uh playing footsie podcast. But now the admin's done. Let's get on to the main bulk of the show. The sucker's going up. Um, right, so this week, guys, I've got something a little bit interesting for you, uh, a little bit different as well. Uh, this was um, alerted, uh, sorry, we were alerted in the Discord about this one. So Martin Lewis uh, was going to talk on his uh, show on ITV about investing, which is quite interesting because it's something he doesn't normally do um, before we've said the, some of the answers he's given to people was uh, sort of semi-dubious. Um, so I thought I would test um, the questions that he got asked. I would offer them to you guys to offer your opinion on. And then I'll tell you what Martin said, and we'll see if you guys think he was correct or not. So uh, feel free to chime in. Um, I, but Paul, go to Steve first. We'll see what he thinks. Some of them are really simple. Uh, some of them are uh, a little bit trickier, but but nothing uh, that you guys uh, should struggle with. So, So Steve, we'll start with you. Uh, the first question was, what are the key differences between a fixed rate ISA and a stocks and shares ISA? Oh, fun. So we're bringing back all the old favourites then. We've got a game on this week's show. Uh, Martin, who is? Uh, right. Uh, so what are the key differences between a fixed rate ISA, presumably a cash ISA, and a stocks and shares ISA? That's correct. I guess the... Key difference is that a fixed rate ISA is closer to having a guaranteed return. I think strictly it's not a guaranteed return unless your bank is covered by AFSCS or something like that and the government agrees to bail it out if it goes bust. So theoretically the entire bank could bust basically, in which case you probably wouldn't get a guaranteed return. But a fixed rate ISA, 
uh, tells you a number, and that number is what the bank, I think, is or building society is kind of contractually obliged to pay you. With uh, stocks and shares, ISA, you buy something that represents probably an ownership in some sort of business, although I suppose you could buy commodities instead. And you, uh, in virtue of owning shares or some cross-section of something, uh, own get a variable return depending on what that business does and what other people are prepared to pay for a share of that business. I bet he didn't say that. He had something, something <laughs> snappier, right? He would have said something Do you want like, to chime in, Paul, uh, before I gets- say yeah, he would have said something like, it's one's, would he have gone as far as saying one's a guaranteed return, one's a very risky return, and one locks up your money for a, a ridiculous amount of time versus one you can choose to take it out whenever you want. But both are tax-free. That would be probably what he says. So he you said um, he said that he wants to wants to get you out of the mentality of his old saying, which is interest in an ISA is nicer, apparently. Um, but he did go and say mm-hmm. that uh, stocks and shares ISA is investment. Uh, essentially, you're putting your money in in the hope that it will increase. You have to take the risk that you might lose some of your money or, worst case, all of your money that you put in. Uh, stocks and shares ISA, it differs in that it's about your attitude to risk. Uh, that was what he said. Fair enough. I think okay. that's probably pretty fair, to be honest. Pretty really fair, yeah. It's a bit too I think you might... Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, well, this is... Remember, remember, it is a basic show. This is for people who are only yeah. exploring this is, uh, ISAs this or is, stocks and this shares. This is ITV so. Paul, prime time. Uh, second question. Second question. Is now a good time to invest in a stocks and shares ISA? Oh, okay. Uh, the answer is no there is no good time to invest in a stocks and shares ISA because you don't know where the market is going to go. That is the answer. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. Yeah, it started think? off right, but I think it, I, I think you lost your way a little bit. So I, I was with you on, on no, there is no good time to invest in a stocks and shares ISA because interest yeah. in an ISA is nicer. Uh, like I've got uh. on 250 <laughs> t-shirts now that I've been having printed. <laughs> Uh, so he said no one knows uh, even though he does have a crystal ball uh, he said no one knows if you are looking to invest you must have a five year timeline but now is as good a time as any simple as that next question was what are the main benefits of a stocks and shares ISA go on Steve Uh, the main benefits of a stocks and shares ISA is that they over long periods of time outperform fixed rate or cash ISAs Paul? Tax-free. Tax-free benefits and dividends rain from the sky. (laughs) (laughs) That was it. He basically said um, no tax uh, on income, no tax on gains, no tax on dividends, no capital gains on selling. And then he clarified the rules on capital gains. So fairly fairly straightforward. I think he, I would say Martin Lewis is three out of three here. Uh, So... Martin said, um, it's such an uncertain time in the market. So he had a CFA as well, so he was also asking the CFA questions. He said, it's such an uncertain time in the market. Shouldn't people be worried about shoving your money into an ISA and it going down? Isn't that a problem? Would it be easier for people to drip feed instead? What do you think about that? I don't like that he's saying that it's about shoving money into a stocks and shares ISA, right? He's not... It's too simplistic because he's saying, oh, it just goes in the ISA and 
And that's what it is. It automatically buys stocks and shares. No, you've got to consider your the index fund that you're going to buy or the mutual fund that you're going to buy or the individual stock you're going to buy. I think it's a little bit simplistic to me. But yeah, I mean, what can you say? Uh, the market is really uncertain. I think it's really uncertain all of the time. And there's no good time to invest in the market, right? Well, they gave an interesting scenario where they said about putting £12,000 into the market and just doing it £1,000 a month because they said that would um, smooth out the ups and downs that you would experience in the market. And I think I agree with that. And I also kind of don't agree to that. It, you're not really smoothing anything out. You're just, you're just putting in money if it goes up and putting money if it goes down. It's more sort of like calendarized depositing. But um, yeah. yeah, it was a, it was an interesting topic. He deferred to the IFA. He deferred to the IFA a couple of times, and uh, here's one of the times he did. And this is uh, this was a stinker. So, uh, mm -hmm. what is a sensible overall charge for investing in terms of what the fees should be? I've been quoted two point seven percent for the first year, but in subsequent years it go, drops down to one point seven seven percent. Is this okay? Well, as no. I understand it, the kind of standardish <laughs> hedge fund thing is something like uh, two percent of the total amount and twenty percent of profits, or something like that. So the numbers are yeah. around that level. But I think probably Martin Lewis or whoever was answering this on behalf of Martin Lewis is going to point out that there are lower cost index funds than that, right? Than trying to get someone to pick fees for you. So I'm going to guess he said. The correct number is something like around half a percent, maybe. So Martin Lewis actually scoffed at this. He thought it was very high indeed. Uh, but the IFA, who I can only surmise worked for St. James's Place, tried to sell it as saying, typically you do pay higher fees in the first year when you're setting up. And if somebody is actively managing it, then that's a fairly fair amount to pay. Uh, I sort of disagree with that. Um, but actually Martin Lewis chimed in and said he still thinks it's too high and asked her, would it not be more beneficial to use an ETF? Um, yes. She then started talking about how ETFs have charges of 0.25 to 0.5. Uh, she said that the fees maybe seem quite high, but she, you should expect to pay 1.5%. They then went on to what an active fund and what a tracker was. But to be fair, I think Martin came out of that one pretty pretty well. I think he yeah, got all he's of done, that he's done um, well then. pretty right. But... He's he's done well there, but yeah, so, may, cool. maybe the because obviously if you get a fund advisor to do this for you, they charge you an extra one and a half percent on top. So maybe that's what uh, this guy's talking about. He may, he may be sitting down and and saying that yeah, well, because I've I've seen a lot of people that I know right who have gone to a financial advisor and said we'll set you up with this product and they've set it up with the product and they've come to me because they they've heard that I do a little bit of uh, investing and they go look oh this guy just sorted it all out for me and I look at it and I go oh what's the charge and they say 2.5 percent and I was like okay and I look through it oh my god it's just five index funds that's all they've done. They've gone into legal in general, and then they've set them up with five index funds. And I went, oh my God, they're charging you two and a half percent for you to go, which you could have done just by yourself. So that's what something I thought they might talk about there, but they didn't. And that is the, that's why I worry about Martin Lewis, even though he's done very well there to say, oh, actually, you know, he's gone, that's too high. But some of the independent financial advisors aren't so independent. <laughs> is that is that worth saying? Hmm. 
No, that's fair enough, I think. Yeah, they have to yeah. be Hall of Market, don't they? That, that if they're not Hall of Market, they tend to just be good at selling products. But, um, true, yeah. So the next question they asked was, um, if people are interested in investing, should they be speaking to people like you? Obviously turning to the IFA again. Uh, he said, be honest. Do I need a decent wedge to talk to you to make it worthwhile, to make it worth the fees? If so, how much do we money do we need to speak to you? Any thoughts on that? Uh, uh, well, that's just talked about exactly what I've talked about, right? That's just something very similar. Um, they will say no, it's not expensive. And they'll send out something like a two and a half percent fee uh and uh, and you really see the the reality of what some of these uh financial advisors are doing they are they are i feel like they're scamming people for what is quite a basic bit of knowledge that they could find on youtube sorry that's this has been a big bugbear of mine for quite quite a while now if only there was a a platform where people could buy like just buy etfs with no dealing fees and no isa fees and no account fees so the only fees they would pay would be you know the ones from the etfs themselves anyway not this week but um uh yeah i, I feel like that's the kind of uh thing i'm always suspicious like paul when someone asks a question on a tv show and prefixes it with the words be honest um i sort of feel like i didn't realize there was a question about being honest here until you brought it up <laughs> but, um, but to be, my, to be uh, fair, my instinct the is that they're going to say they need something like for uh, a thousand yeah but the but the, the fact off. is that he's saying be honest which actually is, this is a test of martin lewis he's actually doing pretty well right by saying be honest come on mm. well to be fair, he pressed her for an answer here and they, she sort of agreed on needing tens of thousands before you should really start to speak to her, which obviously with the sort of audience that Martin Lewis had on that show at that time, it felt like that was quite high, it sort of put her a bit aloof yeah. for the for the audience, I would say. Um, but uh, Martin uh, went on to say, um, look, there's plenty of ways to do this yourself. He recommended that you would use Interactive Investor, which was bizarre. I think that's one of the smaller of our set of brokers, I would guess. But uh, it's mm. not the one that normally gets touted as the one forward. He also mentioned trying fool.co.uk, which was interesting to hear that Martin oh. Lewis is interested in Motley Fool and Steve's oh. work. Um, Quick, but buy, if you have a large whack and buy, this buy is your life... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but, but if you have a large whack and this is your life savings, he thinks um, you should go to financial um, advisor, and not just for investment advice, for all the tax side of it too. But I'll give you the last one anyway. The last one in the pile mm -hmm. was from Diane. And she said, uh, my stocks and shares investment is controlled by my building society. It is decreasing in value. Should I cash in or should I hope they pick up? Uh, um, I would suggest, uh, sorry, am I supposed to be saying what I think Martin Lewis would do or am I supposed to be saying what I think I both. would do? Okay, so here's what I think Diane should do. And one of the things that I don't know about Diane is her, obviously her age, but more generally her kind of uh, what other money she has elsewhere and so on. But my instinct is that if Diane horizon. could possibly help it, she didn't ought to uh, cash this in. Mm. Um, one reason being that we always say on this show that when things are going down in value, it gets very tempting to sort of panic and sell, but panicking is not a good idea, uh, because panicking is a bad idea. Basically, it doesn't matter kind of what age you are, but if you're tempted to sell, I suppose we kind of are attentive to the thought that you often miss the best few days in the market just after a downturn. So things can look better sort of quite quickly. Even in bear markets, you get quite savage rallies. So I 
I would urge Diane to not be shaken out by this, knowing the very little that I know about her situation. Okay. Also, it's completely detached um, from her building society, isn't it? That seems like a red herring. Well, this was what they picked up on as well. So Ma Martin Lewis said, uh, well, you only lose money when you sell. And then he passed it to the IFA who said that the key thing with investing is that you have to stay strong. You have to take the ups and the downs. Um, but in this case, she thought it was worth looking at what other options are available out there, um, which she said it sounds very restrictive as to what they're potentially invested in, which is strange. One. I don't really know how she got that from a, it was a tweet. This as well. It wasn't a person. Um so she told her that you'd have to bear in mind that you're crystallizing a loss. Martin agreed oddly and then told her to have a look at getting some discounted fees from some do-it-yourself brokers, which again, felt like that is potentially good uh, advice, but it is very situational. And, you know, you don't know whether Diane is interested in stocks or knows anything about stocks or whether she's just given it to some kind of managed account. So I would give him only half a mark for that. But out of the rest of it, I thought he did pretty well. Would it have got people interested in investing? Not really. I, I think it was too basic. They didn't go for an IFA to sit there and not go over the basics of what the S&P has done or historical or to even talk about ETFs in any great stretch was a real... Uh, miss on primetime TV, I thought, but um, they, they tried. I thought yeah, that was pretty yeah. good, think, uh, especially the kind of Martin Lewis bit of it. Yeah, I think but Martin Lewis has, has done a lot of justice there. I do think that Diane needs to go to 2 minutes 48 of last week's show and answer the question and get the... Because I don't think she'd be able to go into an investing, you know, you know, sign up to Trading 212, sign up to Hargreaves Lansdowne, sign up to Vanguard and buy a broad-based index fund. I don't think she'd be able to do that and continue investing in, on her entire horizon without a book like The Psychology of Money, which develops uh, a lot of people's mm. behavioral finance uh, terms, which, which is what we are, you know, which, which is what Diane would be lacking. She's, she doesn't understand that bit of it. And therefore, she's likely to lose money in the market by doing it herself. And I don't know if two or 5% from a, a financial advisor does get you a better behavioral finance, because I think they just act on instruction. But it's, there's something wrong there. Behavioral finance wins in the in in the entire system here, I think. And maybe Martin Lewis could have talked about that a little bit more, or maybe pushed that a little bit more. Uh, and yeah, that's all I've really got. But yeah, nine out of ten, definitely. Yeah, it's it's not that kind of show. So um, I think he was never going to go into that. But he, I think there was a missed opportunity there to get some education across the line. But I think Martin Lewis is is pretty happy peddling his um, savings accounts and high rate savings account. And and hey, he's in his element at the moment when when prices of things are rising and savings rates are as attractive as they are. Um, he looked really good yesterday comparing rates, savings rates and uh, and everything for people. Not such a not such a well-oiled show. His earpiece kept falling out and he kept having to pick it up <laughs> off the floor, which is not good in a live show. But um, yeah, let's, let's move on. Uh, one yeah, last thing for um, that. I, when Paul said that yeah. Diane needs to go to 248 on our previous show, I genuinely thought, what the hell does Diane need a hoodie for? Um, <laughs> No. <laughs> yeah. yeah, psychology of money definitely will, will in my opinion, uh, teach you more about finance than Martin Lewis probably ever has. Um, so next, uh, we've got a couple of earnings reports. We've got the interest rates to talk about. Um, any any favourites that you guys want to point out there? Let's do Meta. 
All right. Meta produced earnings the other day. Didn't look too bad, but weak as far uh, weak as guidance and a heavy spend on capex, which is going towards the metaverse. And uh, I, I mean, I like the Oculus, but uh, I'd like to hear other people's thoughts about what's going on with Meta and should we be selling it? Should we just write it off as a company now and think it's going to zero? Yeah, everyone else on YouTube appears to be having a say on Meta, and since we're monetized now, I feel like we should have ours as well. Uh, Paul said that Meta produced earnings last week. It barely produced any bloody earnings last week. That was mostly the problem with it. It had $27.7 billion in revenues, which was down about 4.5%. Earnings per share were $1.64, which was down by half compared to this time a year ago. So those earnings are going in the wrong direction i was saying to steve when i read this i've been buying shares in meta since about q4 of last year so just under a year ago um and it now looks like the opposite to the company that i was buying so wind us back three quarters i'll remind you what's happening the shares were dropping quickly because uh, the number of daily active users on facebook was sliding off just very very slightly less than one percent but the number of daily active users was coming down company was making more money than it ever had done revenue was going up earnings per share was going up average revenue per person was going up uh users on all the other categories they report on were going up but big panic with daily average users coming down okay back to today for the moment uh, and things are pretty much the opposite way around so average users on everything so facebook individually and the family of apps in general Daily and monthly, everything's up by between 1% and 6% compared to a year ago. And like I mentioned, all the financial numbers are coming down. So it feels like things are very much the opposite way round to the kind of company that I started off buying, which sort of makes me wonder, should I change my mind on this? I mean, there's lots of kind of uh, bear market, bear points to be made on this sort of thing. Uh, I thought of about four so far, which is number one is that kids don't use it. Number two is they're busy spending money hand over fist on the metaverse. Number three is that family of apps thing that everyone thought was great. The revenues and operating income are well down on those things. And number four is that their free cash flow number uh, seems, as far as I can tell, to be wildly misguided. Um, any thoughts on any of those? Or I'll dive into them a bit more if you want. Yeah, I was going to say, is average revenue per, per user down? Because I didn't actually look at that one yet. <laughs> So I didn't look at it either, but um, I have in my head an idea that if the number of users is flat and the revenue is down, then the average revenue per user has to be down. Down, yeah, that yeah, makes that sense. makes sense. Um, yeah, so that that's the bad one, isn't it? You, if you're seeing that one flowing down, then it means there's a kink in the business going on, and it's not just a kink, is it? Because it's been three. I think it's three regular quarters of declining earnings now. And that is a bit of a shame. The way I look at Meta, and I'm trying, I'm going to try and look at it positively. I'm going to try. Um, is that you're, you might be seeing these earnings going down due to this heavy capex. So do we see, still see a company in Facebook that is profitable, Facebook, Instagram, that is still profitable. And then we are just taking this yearly, monthly, quarterly fee of around, I think it was 10 billion that they're just smashing into the metaverse. And we, we just have to take that as a fine. Or is it more than that, is it? It's uh, quite considerably more than that, is it? Um, well, either way, do you just take that cash expense as a massive fine every single time? And then you discount, then you put in your discounted cash flow exactly what 
Facebook's earnings are minus that that big old expense and then you come to your then you come to your price of facebook or meta at that time on on another one anecdotally again i think the meta the metaverse itself i don't think i'm not i'm not entirely sure of just yet but oculus i i really really like it i don't know if you've ever used it but it is a tremendous product it really is a tremendous product. The games on the Oculus. I would buy that console over any console out there right now. And, you know, if I was going to buy one, that would be the only console that I'd buy. And that's what I think of it as, as a console. I don't think of it as this kind of workspace feature where you get legs and stuff like that. It, I, I don't see that. But the Oculus in a gaming capacity is by far, personally, the best gaming console that's out there i think i'm the so only one that one of the things i was thinking is i think i think the run rate uh is at the moment is going to end up being more like 12 billion i think the the issue is a couple of years ago when people were buying into meta knowing that zuckerberg wanted to uh put this money into reality labs what people didn't realize is that they'd be spending so much money on it and the progress is actually looking in terms of the actual output of the of the I mean, the headsets would discount them for now, but the actual product, the, the metaverse itself, for summoning four billion a quarter or whatever it is that they're doing, it still looks really shit. And that's the, way, the 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 problem that I think most investors have got with it is that it's become a joke to the outside world, which is not a good sign for a product. Everybody's laughing yeah. at the metaverse, um, but the investors can't laugh at it. You know what I mean? They, they, they can't laugh at it. They, they've expected him to turn out something amazing. This is a field he has very little experience in, um, but he's turning out a product here, which is which is seen. Uh, which people are laughing at which that's going to be really difficult for him to come back from and um, it's quite easy to see where the company's cash and net income is going because you know you just look at the reality labs division and you see four billion hole uh in in those accounts but that i think that's more than what um what he ever sort of told you he was going to spend or what you ever could have forecasted he was going to spend but the the opposite the argument i said to steve is that this is another whole different argument but this is on super voting shares now everybody likes super voting shares when uh when when the stock is going up because everyone's like this guy's a visionary he's great but when he's like sat in the backyard throwing billions of dollars into a trash can and setting it on fire um, and then coming out with, hey, look, you've got legs. Like now, nobody likes super voting shares. Like <laughs> when the stock is the worst performing stock in the S and P five hundred, which it just became today, um, from from year to date. Uh, who likes super voting shares now? I think uh, if if Zuck didn't have the sort of voting power he had, I think he'd be out on his ass at the moment spending this other money. But Steve, I'll let you come back. I wonder about this. So I agree with pretty much all of this, but I think I just feel slightly more positively than you guys do so i counted back for 12 trailing months and i counted a 12.7 billion spend on the metaverse from reality labs one way or another and for context that's about a pinterest um for <laughs> pretty much all of pinterest market cap pinterest market cap is 13 it's also um things you could have done with 12.7 billion that are not the metaverse uh, bought Digital Turbine, Globally, Teladoc, Boston Omaha, Daily Journal, Pager Duty, and Squarespace. Um, that, that's not a choice that Meta had available to it, realistically. I don't think they're going to be allowed to buy all that stuff um, with various antitrust concerns. But to give you a feel for the kind of money that's uh, been thrown into this currently gaping hole. 
Um, I think there's a little bit of sentiment sliding the other way here. So to Paul's point, the way I thought about this before was, look, it's got a family of apps thing that is basically a money printing machine. OK, we're going to chuck some of it onto the other side and we'll just knock that back off the profitable thing. The thing that's happened this yeah. quarter, though, is family of apps has got clobbered as well, uh, which we've seen happen with Google. We've seen it happen with Snap. We've seen it happen in digital advertising everywhere. And suddenly... I think um, the Reality Lab stuff didn't go well this quarter, but no one really thought this was going to be an amazing quarter for Reality Labs, particularly. No. If Family of Apps goes well uh, this quarter, I think Reality Labs is a kind of thing you don't really care about. We've had three billion spends in a quarter before. That was, uh, I think, that was Q4 of last year. So that by itself isn't a huge deal. What's a huge deal to me, or as far as I can see, is it all looks like it's going wrong together, and I think that's causing everyone to view everything more negatively than they would have individually. So when I look at that, I sort of think, OK, it's a bad time for family of apps. That to me looks cyclical. I think it's cyclical with Google. I think it's cyclical with Snap as well. I own both Google and Meta, by the way, and I've no particular. They're roughly similar size positions for me. So I don't really mind which one does better out of those two. I think this is feels a little bit Netflixy to me. feels like everything's going wrong at the same time. And therefore, there's a lot of scope for just anything to go right in the future here. Um, it is very genuinely going wrong at the business. I don't think this is just sentiment, right? Um, free cash flow was awful. Um, and it was, I think, worse than awful. I'll get onto the stuff about stock-based comp in a minute. But I kind of think there's a lot of room for this to turn around quite quickly and quite substantially. So I think this is perhaps... I'd keep buying this here for what it's worth. I, I own this and I would mm. buy it again uh, at these levels. It's the, it's the risk, isn't it? It's the... the... It's very interesting to see how the stock market. This is this is a very good example of how the stock market works. We had PEs of got uh, north of thirty when we had a lot of cash flow coming in and no capex. And don't forget that Facebook still got the opportunity to take out some debt here. I don't know if that would do very well for the uh, for the stock itself, but it did. Until... Oh, it did did it? Oh, sorry, they already taken out a bit. Um, the uh the the only thing you've got got to think about here is the stock isn't going to change direction until that metaverse starts to prove itself a little bit so what i think you might find is a, a long bottom maybe that's what it feels like to me and uh as of probably yesterday i think it was like a p of nine but it's interesting to see that that's what happens to the market and it's, I'd, I'd like to think of it as a good visual representation of there's the risk there's that 12 billion a year risk that's going on the way they're just dumping it into a hole i don't uh, I think it's it's quite biased to say that it, they're just dumping it into a trash can because we actually don't know. I mean, there's it, it really could come off. It, we, we just don't know. And that's what you're betting on. At this point, I think with Meta, if you are buying it, you are speculating on a Metaverse, unfortunately. And that's why we've been given a P of nine. If this was in 2020 and Cathy Wood was pushing it, uh, you would see this thing go through the roof. But it's not. We need cash flows and we're seeing this capex. See, I don't, I don't think that. I think that you're getting a P of nine is essentially what people are saying is metaverse is almost fully saturated business. You're getting that a business there that's probably not going to grow in terms of users anymore because nearly everybody uses nearly all of the family of apps in one way or another. Um, and you're seeing a business that's out of cycle. So you're seeing a nine PE there on a for those two reasons. I don't think today you're betting on 
um, Reality Labs being, uh, you know, being your bet for growth, what you're getting is a company that theoretically should stay around this price if Reality Labs doesn't take off. Um, yeah. You know, there's always a chance that Facebook will be able to make this level of money for a very long period of time. The, the move away from Facebook to other advertising platforms isn't going to happen overly quickly um but the issue is i think zuckerberg we spoke about this before he needs a a platform in the way that apple and google are like walled gardens he wants his own walled garden and he, he's understood that and this is the way he wants to go about it whether or not you think this is the right move or not i, I i'm not so keen on this move um i'm not so keen on it just because i look at the output and i think i think the output looks really bad for the amount of money spent on it i mean we laughed at amazon prime spending 500 million on um something like Lord of the Rings, but at least it didn't look shit. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. Steve, I'll, I'll defer back to you to, to, to wrap us up. So one last thought on this then, I guess. There's a line of thinking amongst kind of a certain sort of value investor that you run a bunch of numbers through something and this comes out looking very, very cheap. Uh, and no argument about that, it does. I think this is one where it's worth looking just very slightly closer for what it's worth. So it's currently trading at a price to free cash flow of around nine. It has a market cap when I looked earlier of 237 or so billion. Free cash flows of 26 and a half. So that's price to free cash flow of nine. When I looked into that free cash flow, I got a little bit more concerned with what I was seeing. So stock based comp is about 11.39 billion which is roughly speaking a metaverse uh, again. And you add that back <laughs> in free cash flow because it's not a cash expense. So you take your net income, add that back in, add back in a bunch of depreciation amortization costs. That gets you to operating cash flow and then take CapEx out of that. So of that 26 billion in free cash flow, roughly 11 and a bit is coming out of stock-based comp there, an expense that's being added back. I think that's a genuine cost. I think if you're printing 11 billions worth of shares, you should account for that in your thinking. So if you take that back out again of the free cash flow, we get closer to a sort of 16, 17 uh, multiple in free cash, which is less attractive than sort of nine or so. Worse yet, stock-based mm. comp is growing at nearly 30%. Um, per year on four-year average and revenues was growing at 20.6. Revenues currently coming down. So that's getting eaten away quite quickly. That worries me more than anything to do with the metaverse uh, for what it's worth. The fact that they cannot stop giving away this damn business uh, concerns me as an investor more than the idea that they're currently taking moonshots um, at Oculus headsets. That's the thing, right? It's uh, It already has about half the world as its customer. Uh, as far as we know, I think Facebook had something like three and a half billion users. And where's the growth is the question. Where's, where's the that, growth in that? That, that, and that, that did make me laugh because CNBC said uh, Facebook users at 3.53 billion or something like that. And it said only up 4%. And I'm thinking when you get to about 3.5 billion, 4% is a lot to add on in terms of users. Like, you know, we, we're running out of people here <laughs> yeah. who could physically use this. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was it. I was thinking, well, how many of them have water? <laughs> I was just kind of like, what's going on? It, yeah. It's it, yeah. It's pretty incredible. Um, the, the, and that's the thing unless they're gonna i don't know just make instagram even uh, even bigger and more profitable uh it's it's there's no growth there and this is the only growth prospect a lot of money's going on it and it doesn't seem to have a clear direct direction i think i think that's the main problem is i really like the oculus set i think it's a brilliant brilliant product but a lot of people don't 
And it, I mean, if I refer to Scott Galloway, Scott Galloway says it's not cool. No one's going to stand around in their house with a big thing on their face. It's, uh, it's just one of them things. I personally think, yeah, it's probably not cool, but I don't care if I'm traveling around swinging from trees and being spider-man and things like that which is was genuinely one of the most brilliant experiences i've had on a games console ever however this metaverse bit i can't get my head around it i don't know what it's for if it's for just having meetings just put a camera in it and let it see your face or something like your real face why are we oh have we just invented facetime or even riverside what we're using right now it doesn't make sense to me uh, at all uh, but then that could be be me getting old and and me not understanding the the basics of what the young people want these days i i, I really don't know I, I i can't get my head around the metaverse and until it's got a proper direction i don't think i can buy it because of how much capex is blowing into um uh the company right there stop based comp i have no idea but uh, is it buying back shares uh, at the same time I, I don't know if you've seen the um the advert that meta's currently got running on uh on tv um for the metaverse at the moment where it shows you um the idea of university students going back to ancient rome to watch um like aurelius arguing with somebody in front of the Colosseum and experiencing hmm. debates and things like that or it'll go to um students learning about cells all through the you know the metaverse and the professor throws a cell to them and they can split it and divide it and you see all that stuff's really cool when's it coming and you then you like you look, actually look at the output and it looks like like something like an amateur cartoon maker would make uh on on youtube where half the time so, people don't no. even have legs and you think to yourself no, like, tell you we're what. so far away from this i mean paul likes well, you really like the metaverse but because you like playing mini golf with a headset on, but that's not what <laughs> you know. That's not no. going to bring in the dollars, is it? You know what I mean? That's... No, that's that's there. That that cell thing that you're talking about, like delving into the body, that exists. That's a that's a mini game. But what you know, what doesn't exist is the 300 headsets that you've got to put into that lecture theatre. The 300 set headsets that you've got to give to exactly, your yeah. students and and maintain. You know, that's that's the that's the problem with the with with that. That's why universities aren't going to until the price comes down, obviously. Uh, but then, how do they prove the concept if? the price isn't already down for universities to spend it on and uh i think the technology is there that technology you're seeing that in that advert is there there are games there are uh visual experiences that look exactly like that where you can where you literally can dissect the body i mean do you remember i mean quite funny is that game where you have to uh be a surgeon that was quite hard uh quite a hard game actually it's like playing operation in vr it's uh quite crazy but what you're what you're talking about there that does already exist um and probably as good as they have said in in the uh, show but like you say there's a lot of logistics that they have to sort out with it the sucker's going up interest rate an interesting topic for uh, casper to pull out here because this will be why stocks are going down um so i just picked out a few things from um jerome powell's statement which actually is initial statement when it was released uh, the market uh, jumped up quite a bit it was a red day it sort of came back to level and then um with it seems to be most of the time when j Powell actually uh 
actually reads his speeches out, uh, the market uh, collapsed quite quickly. But there's a few things out there that I've picked out that he said um, that were quite interesting. Um, so in the press release, it said, in determining the pace of future rate increases, the FOMC will take into account the cumulative tightening of monetary policy, the lags uh, with which monetary policy affects economic uh, activity and inflation and financial developments. So that was really him there giving a kind of dovish kind of statement out to the market. The market really liked that because what that what that, what that was the famous Fed pivot that people have been waiting for when the Fed stops tightening monetary policy and allows it to uh, maybe lapse a little bit and uh, you know, at least they know where the top of the interest rates are going to be. Um, so in his actual speech, though, he said, uh, the incoming data since our last meeting suggests the terminal rate of Fed funds will be higher than we previously expected, which for the record was 4.63%. And we will stay the course until the job is done. Uh, they were actually uh, repricing in about 5.08% now. So that's a whole, you know, half a percent over what uh, the market had been um, expecting. He said, what's far more important now is for how long rates will remain high and we will stay the course until the job is done. So the market is probably now thinking you're going to have, you know, core uh, core uh, interest rates at 5%, but also at 5% for a longer period than they, uh, they thought uh, it was going to be. And just to finish his last bit, he signed off with risk management is key here. If we were to over-tighten, we could use our tools to support the economy later on. But if we failed to tighten enough, inflation would become entrenched and that would become a bigger problem. So he's basically saying here he's going to crank that dial up to as much as he needs to. And, you know, he'll ease off if it becomes a massive monetary problem, uh, if there's a problem in the monetary system. So uh, anybody who thought there was a Fed pivot coming, I'm afraid, uh, despite him sort of hinting at it in his initial statement, uh, yeah, he's not pivoting at all at the moment. But um, Steve, do you want to quickly chime in with the rate increases? What actually happened on the day? Sure. So the US uh, Federal Funds Reserve rate has now reached 4%, I think, which surprised pretty much nobody. Uh, we've had an interest rate decision in the UK as well since then. That happened today uh, as we record today. Uh, interest rates have now reached 3%, which is the highest they've been since 2008. Uh, I heard the Bank of England guiding for 11% inflation in Q4. So I expect that to go higher, I think, in all kind of likelihood. Just as a quick comment on this before we kind of get into some other uh, more detailed stuff on this and our views, I suppose. It's earnings season at the moment, and I couldn't help but feel like both of these things felt like a kind of earnings call uh, to me, where there was sort of the bit where everyone's trying to guess at a number, which is sort of like an earnings number, but in this case is an interest rates number. Uh, that surprised nobody from what I can see in either case. Uh, pretty much both those numbers went where they were expected to go. And then there's the bit where they kind of give you the sort of guidance going forward. And in both cases, the guidance was sort of fairly disappointing and the markets reacted to potentially that sort of guidance effectively. Um, the, what you're hoping for guidance-wise, positive news for stocks is that we're going to either slow down or stop or things are looking all right or we're at least going to not keep raising things at the rate we were at. Uh, negative news is we basically are and it seems like every uh, time there's been one of these earnings call interest rate things, um, investors have all been saying maybe this time, maybe this time, maybe this time 
from what I can see, mostly out of hope over expectation because inflation just keeps going. Well, it started to inch down, but I mean by decimal points in the US. Uh, and in the UK, it's gone up to 10.1% uh, and guiding for 11. So I get that inflation is coming out in other areas like commodity prices and so on. But uh, with the CPI or whatever metric they're using at those kind of numbers, I just can't see it. And I refuse to be surprised by rates continuing to go up here. Paul? Um, right, where to start? Uh, I didn't realise that th I fully thought that there was just going to be another 0.75% basis point raise. And I'll explain why I thought that at first. But I didn't realise that on FinTwit and YouTube and all that, there was this undercurrent of people drumming up this support for the, the famous Fed pivot and people were believing it. So as far as the markets go, I don't think we're at capitulation yet because I think there are still people listening to idiots on the internet and taking binary bets. So that's my first bit there. But my reasoning behind why I think that the uh, Bank of England are going to keep raising and the Fed are going to keep raising as well is because there is, uh, you can do a risk benefit analysis on this and there is more ben uh, there is less risk on the overly harsh side of this than there is being more dovish basically so it's if you are too hawkish in this situation you are going to maybe slightly well slightly or overly drive down employment rates and things like that and you are going to crash the stock market a little bit more than it already is but if you're too dovish, you've got inflation going out of control and people being completely unable to live. And so the the, the central banks are in this situation are going to go too far. They're always going to go too far. And then they're going to get confirmation that they've gone too far. And then they're going to start to pull it back a little bit. That is the only way due to risk. And all, all, all he's doing, all Jerome Powell and his and people who are advising them are doing are they're simply running a risk-based analysis and deciding that going too far is the less risky or is going to do the less damage and that's where we're at yeah one of the interesting points that cnn pulled out was that um the congressional budget office have now reckoned that uh, by 2029 the government will be spending more uh, the u.s government will be spending more on interest than it does on its defense budget which is Kind of amazing for America because uh, yeah. they really do love their defense budget. Um, but that's made everybody a little bit nervous. Um, this is probably why you're seeing the sort of reactions you've seen today uh, or the, over the last couple of days in pricing. Everybody's just repricing in this additional this additional risk here. Um, I guess as well, you uh, the Fed, when they start quantitative, is it quantitative tightening, you're going to lose a buyer in the market, uh, which is obviously always going to have a negative effect, especially one with pockets as deep as the as the Fed and the Treasury have. Um, mm. So yeah, it's a, it's it's definitely interesting. I mean, I I wasn't thinking there would be a pivot. I, I think a little bit deep down in in your sort of like your heart, you think, oh, maybe if there is a pivot, I can get myself out of this sort of red rut that I've been in for the last what feels like eighteen months. But um, I just like 
I think I've heard you say a few times, Steve, it's not the right time for the Fed to be pivoting. They need to sort out the economy. And unfortunately, what happens off the back of that, and which is usually pretty horrible for, for people, people tend to lose their jobs, lose their houses, uh, default on things that they could otherwise afford. Um, that all, unfortunately, needs to happen to right this sort of wrong that's happening at the moment in America, which is uh, sadly nearly 14 years of quantitative easing, which uh, was really, really ramped up in the last couple of years. Yeah, so to Paul's point, the risk on the kind of downside here is basically a recession. And if you raise too far and too fast, you will get a worse recession, uh, effectively. There's a couple of things, I guess, connected to this, um, though. One is I always like to find something to disagree with that I've heard about in the last um uh, a week or so, just so people don't get the idea that I'm some awful yes man who has no views on something. But I heard someone saying that uh, people complaining about the Fed raising interest rates too quickly is kind of ironic because it's the same bunch of people who complained they were raising them too slowly before or they were being too dovish during the uh, kind of inflation period and he was suggesting that look if you thought they were raising them too slow earlier you should be pleased about them raising them quickly now uh, and trying to catch up that does not follow uh, for what it's worth it does not follow from the fact that you're doing something too slowly that you should now do it as fast as you possibly can if Steve's given me a lift to work through the streets of Hull or something like that and I complain that he's been driving along at five miles an hour that doesn't mean I want him to drive at 90 for the rest of the damn thing that means I want him to drive at the appropriate rate for the entire time uh, it's possible to be too slow and then too fast one way or another so I take the point about uh, kind of concerns about doing these things too quickly and too slowly but I don't think that um the fact that some people were complaining this is too slow in some way kind of defeats their right to say this is too fast. Um, that to me doesn't seem to make much sense. Uh, I get that it's a kind of risk analysis thing um, and I get where the Fed is trying to go with this kind of thing. So um, in terms of what this means for stocks, I'm trying to uh, keep calm and carry on a little bit. They're going to keep doing this until they see inflation right back down. This is going to continue and we need to be prepared for this. You need to find down your hatches. You need to save a lot of money and you need to stick to the plan, whatever your plan may be, because I, this is going to keep going. And I just, it, it's going to be rough, isn't it? Next year, the recession is likely to be coming as far as Stanley Druckenmiller thinks. Uh, we aren't showing signs of that just yet. And unfortunately, the Fed needs to start seeing signs of that uh, before they can stop. That's my view on it. You might, uh, but like you say, you can go too far. You could go too far. Uh, and let's take a depression. <laughs> It'd be lovely to see everybody losing their houses at that point. And then somehow uh, they've got to just give free housing to everyone. Yeah, I, I wouldn't like to see that at all. I would worry absolutely about what that means for uh, the bunch of things that I own. No one's going to buy an iPad if they haven't got a house, are they? I mean, I think Buffett thinks they would, but uh, I think he thinks people would rather own kind of uh, Apple gear than houses. And I don't know, maybe he's right. But I've reminded myself the point that Steve was attributing to me before. I've thought that if the Fed does ease off on this without signs of inflation, at least as far as I can see coming down, I would worry incredibly about that because that just means to my mind that the US economy can't take it um and that this is effectively another bailout and the tightening is going to have to happen all over again effectively so i would just see that as a sign of what they're calling a hard landing and i would be very wary about kind of taking that, much solace in a relief loss. rally there 
that's a lost decade. That is, that's a full on lost decade. That's mm-hmm. that's just that you'd have to call that there. All right, uh, lovely somber note to end the playing fancy podcast on this week. Thousand subscribers. We all hate the world. See you in a bit. <laughs>